It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And this week, it's a special week because there's so many big games, so much big football. And uh, we're, we're kind of like squirrels putting away chestnuts uh, before the great drought that is the international break. We have the outstanding Matt Dickinson joining us. Martin Ziegler as well. The reason Martin's here, among other things, is because uh, we need an adult for our conversation with another adult. Damien Collins, the Member of Parliament. That's right, we'll be talking poppies later. Julian Lawrence is here. And all of this makes me extremely hyped and amped for this show. And um, we'll be talking a bit of United and Bob Bradley. But we got to start with the North London Derby. Dicko, I'm going to start with you because you wrote a piece in the game today talking about Pochettino's Plan B. And I really thought, and we maybe didn't make enough of a big deal out of this. Going into the game, it was what? It was like six or seven games without a victory. In fact, they hadn't won since uh, the uh, since that tremendous win over City. We heard stories that Harry Kane and Moussa Dembele were, were, were half fit. Eric Lamella, who I adore, was out. Alderweireld was out. Dele Alli was out. Uh, Moussa Sissoko was suspended, which, you know, may or may not have been a bad thing, but... This was a really, really, a really high-stakes game for the Potch, and he showed guts, and he played a back three, and even though he pretends like he played this last year, uh, he certainly didn't do it very often and didn't do it on a stage like this. Can you show him some love? Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was, I mean, there's no point in sort of tinkering for the sake of it, but tinkering with a, with a plan and, as you say, adjusting to circumstance is always good to see, and I think Tottenham have needed a plan B, I think. As you mentioned, they came in half a dozen games without a win. Clearly, goal scoring is a big issue. Apart from Jansen, a couple of penalties from him. And as I mentioned this morning, penalties slightly looks like the only way he's going to score at the moment. They've, they've, they've needed clearly to, 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 to increase the firepower. And Kane coming back, obviously, they hope is a part of that. But actually, you know, Kane was never going to be more than sort of 70, 80% fit. So to play him and Son up front made, made sense. Um, because, you know, you look at the system and everyone always goes, ah, it's a back three. But as, as Pochettino was very quick to point out, you know, that the point of it was actually to get two strikers as much as, to, as, as the three defenders. And, and he's played a, a fair bit of 3-5-2 with uh, Argentina um, going back. He knows he knows that system. It was interesting to see it because it, it worked in some ways and looked vulnerable in others. Martin, this isn't something we're going to see again, are we? This 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 back three? I mean, when Alderweireld comes back, then we return to, to normality, right? Well, for Spurs, yeah. Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure actually. I think because I mean, I, they, one thing they've been struggling for is goals, isn't it? So if if they're going, if he thinks this is a way of actually going to get more goals, then I think um, right. it might not be just a one-off. It might be the, the way he, they're going to actually transform themselves into um, you know, people who actually. Yeah, but, gonna sorry, get I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to give away any secrets. Sorry, gentlemen, I don't want to give away any secrets here, and I'm sure Julian agrees with me. You do realize you can play two strikers without playing <laughs> a back, back three. three. I don't know if anybody pointed this out to the potch, but in fact, in England, for many, many years, people play this formation called four four two. Well, I know, but I mean, that every, every time someone tries to play four four two, they end up being sort of um, well, quite often they end up being completely outgunned in midfield, and then it, uh, it sort of backfires. I mean, the broader the broader picture was. I mean, he, he obviously thinks that uh, Rose and Walker are wing back capable, and certainly in, on running power. They would, they would seem to be, and it was not just the two strikers, but having Ericsson uh, able to float behind them. So you, know, you look at the system, and uh, look, there was no guarantee from him yesterday that he's going to play. You know, the last time he did it was a one-off at Watford, 
maybe this will turn out to be a one-off. But, I mean, Alderweireld coming back, you could say, well, you take out Wimmer, who um, didn't have the happiest days, obviously, and uh, and put him in, and, and, and maybe um, you've got a better version of the system still. So he, he was being coy about whether he continues it. But as I say, I, I think he's got a problem, certainly at the sharp end, and um, this at least looked like a sort of thoughtful way of going about trying to solve it. Julian, I don't want to be too negative here, but I think I will be. I think there's two points dropped by Arsenal. I, I think if you can't go and beat Spurs with so many absentees at home, you know, coming off this bad run, and I get it, Santi Casorla is not there, but you know, at some point, it always seems to me that when Arsenal screw it up, there'll be like, you know, it's like, oh my God, well, you know, Nacho Monreal wasn't there. And I, I'm not saying Casorla is not important, but you have a big squad, you have a lot of great players, you don't necessarily need to play with a little guy passing the ball in the middle. Am I being unfair to Arsenal, or is this, or is it like, are these the things that add up, and this is why they don't win anything? No, I think you, I think you're being unfair because I thought Spurs played really well, and they were very strong. Spurs, I know, but they played really well. It's and, Spurs, yeah, but they played really well. It, it could be anyone, but they played really well. They they dropped two points against Boro at home, and that was clear two points drop, and they were they were poor on that day a couple of weeks ago. This was a bit different, Gab. This was a bit different. This was such a high-quality game, and they they could have lost it. They could have won it as well. I thought there was there's a few crosses from from Alexis towards Giroud. There's the one that Giroud had. There's the one that Vertonghen clipped over him just just before with the tiniest of touches. But no, no I, I'm not saying that they didn't deserve. No, no, no. They, 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 I mean, I think they, they a draw is probably a, far, a fair result. I'm saying is. Aren't these games where we demand Arsenal? Where if you're an Arsenal fan, you should demand that they win. Yeah, these of games. course, but you can't win them all. And you know, yeah, every point dropped at home would be would be two points dropped, and it's a shame. But you have to look at the the opposition as well. And I think you're a bit harsh because I thought it was a very good Spurs side. Martin, am I harsh? I think it, because it's the North London derby. I think it, I, I think it, everything else goes out the window, doesn't it? The derbies are sort of they're sort of separate to that. I think obviously they'll be kicking themselves that it was a weak Spurs team. They didn't and they didn't win. The trouble with it, you know, there's so much at stake and there's you know, everything so hyped up and pumped up that I, I, I don't think I think it's as Julian said, it's more of a problem than the fact they didn't beat Middlesbrough. Dicko, let's let's talk referees. I thought, well, first of all, let's talk Musa Dembele because you know, obviously, at that long suspension hanging over from last year, he, I, I think he's an exceptional player. I turn on the television and they're saying like, "Well, he should score more and assist more," and I said, "No, he's fine." I personally, I think he's fine the way he is, but on this. He was a driving force. He won that penalty, which displeased Arsene Wenger. Can you explain why Wenger was displeased? I I, I thought it was a penalty every day of the week. No, well, we had we had a good bickering um, round because we're, we're we're school children at heart. In the press box afterwards, where uh, we're stroking our chins and asking questions about three five two or three four three or whatever, and um, uh, others others my colleagues were um, trying to let's have say, say stoke arguments about um, refereeing decision making, and this was a classic case in point where I think we should have banned any reporting of what Arsene Wenger said because it was so idiotic and it just sort of, nothing winds me up more than managers spouting nonsense and it somehow ending up as sort of creating news. Can you share what he said? Can you, I, he I, I know, said, I know well, he basically, yeah, he said... Uh, he you don't want to do this, do you? You don't want to report on what he said. Right. <laughs> you violated... You know, wait, should I ask Zeke to say, or, or Julian to, to say, and then you can just comment it? <laughs> My brain's about to explode. But no, he, he basically said it was, uh, it was harsh because, um, the penalty was harsh because uh, there was little chance of Dembele scoring and Koscielny hadn't done it deliberately which is is sort of I don't know I'm, I'm trying to think that's a bit like saying I'm okay to rob that bank because no one told me not to or um, and there isn't much money in it did something get lost in not translation but is he is he thinking is he is, is there some sort of Alsatian explanation for, for saying this no it's one of those where <laughs> it was being a bit a bit dishonest I thought but um, I love uh, Dico's tweet yesterday saying that even very intelligent people can say stupid things at the time but maybe he was trying to defend Koscielny because Koscielny and you know how much as how much I love him and how, how brilliant I think he is there's no need for him to go there there's no need he said to me after the game that he thought Dembele was going to shoot earlier than he did and the extra touch I think deceived completely Koscielny, but there's no need for him to go to go in like the way he did. Really. It's kind of called dribbling and trickery in the box. Yeah, right? he fooled them. But but you know, as a defender, right. you you know that you have to stand still and wait and go for the ball when you're sure to get it, not right. when you're not sure. And maybe that was the way for Wenger to defend Koscielny. I'm not so sure. Ziggs, I, I wanted to ask you. The Arsenal goal um, was actually a Spurs goal. Um, for those who didn't see it, it's a, it's a free kick. Two Arsenal players, I believe Mustafi and Alexis Sanchez, are offside. Vimmer, difficult task of facing his own goal, ends up heading it 
past uh, Hugo Lloris. Now, the reason the goal stood, despite the people offside, is, I think, for me personally, quite obvious, is that Alexis Sanchez and Mustafi were, were offside, but according to the rules, they're very clearly not interfering with play. I watched this on BT Sport. They all seemed mystified. Harry Redknapp, Rio Ferdinand, um, even Ian Wright. They spoke to Howard Webb, who's not particularly for. I mean, he set them straight, but, you know, he's like, well, maybe there should be more clarification. And I said, well, is the rule really that hard to understand, Martin? Everybody knows now that if you're not interfering with play, then you're in you know, offside position, then you're, then you're not judges offside unless or, you're... Or technically, it's interfering with an opponent, isn't it, Martin? Yeah. You can be held up for being offside if you're distracting the keeper. Otherwise, I think everybody generally knows that, you, that it, you're not. It's a slightly difficult one to interpret if the fact somebody is running is making that run and then they're offside does that basically interfere with the player and make him head it into his own net i suppose you could specific you could specifically in that case argue that was that was a possibility but generally i think the the thing about you know, the the whole change the rule where the, where you could be offside when that was brought in i think it, people generally do know that now don't they i i, I think I, so, so but you know i I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to refereeing decisions, but Julian, you were shaking your head there. You're making a face no, when Martin was speaking. No, 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 it's not about what Ziggs was saying. <laughs> Wimmer has no idea who is offside or onside behind him. But it doesn't really matter. Exactly. But like, but see, I, this, sorry, this, no, is the, this is the point I think Shearer and Murphy made on Match of the Day. Clearly they're interfering because he's, he now has to head it because he doesn't know if they're onside or offside. But I'm also thinking, what does it matter? What else is he going to do? <laughs> exactly. If he knows they're offside, what, what's he going to do? Well, yeah, he's not, he's not making a split-second decision. I think so. I think that bit's nonsense. I think it is. You know, it is interpretative. When well, when you have interpretative decisions like this, you're always going to get rows. And I think it's. You know, I think this is a classic case in point that falls between. I mean, if you know, if Alexis Sanchez isn't hoping to or intending to play the ball, then sort of what's he doing there? I, I, I think this one falls right on the on the grey zone. But I think the referee's got it probably got it right on sort of strict interpretation. But as yeah, Howard Webb was saying this morning, it was sort of morally wrong, which, um, you know, you're in, a, you're in a weird old position when you're, you have sort of mor- morally right or wrong offside decisions. Anyway, moving on to that, moving on to the biggest and best and club in the world, Mourinho and Manchester United. They played Swansea away. Swansea's first 45 minutes were, were, were atrocious, in my opinion. I was hoping to start with the game and the tactical changes, but... I read the headline on the back page, and I see Mourinho in attack on his weak players. Tico, you presumably won more journalism awards than I have, maybe more mm. than any of us. Only if you've won none. I've I've won none. I never even get nominated. I see Ziegler. You've probably won the most, right? I've won none. I haven't won any. Ah, okay, good. You suck too, <laughs> Julian. Your ones are French, and yeah. I guess in France everybody gets one, so yeah, it doesn't really matter. What shall we start with? Shall we start with making this all about Mourinho and his attack on his weak players, or should we take a moment to talk about the football? Well, yes, someone, I think so. I saw someone tweet this morning, it's Mourinho's now deflecting, deflecting away from him the better performances. For those, for those who, who, who might not know, this is the gist. So United go and they play this rather unusual defense with, with Ashley Young at right back, Darmian at left back. Phil Jones, who I thought, I, I knew he hadn't retired, but obviously he'd been out, I think, since they last played Swansea back in January. And, uh, and and Rojo in there. And afterwards, Mourinho, he made other changes too, which we'll get to in talk about the football. But afterwards, afterwards, Mourinho came out, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to quote he, here. Pre-game, he talked about how Chris Smalling and Luke Shaw, both of them had niggles. And then afterwards, he made a point, citing the difference, and I'm quoting, between the brave who want to be there at any cost and the ones for whom a little pain can make a difference. And he goes on and he talks about you know, great players. He's friends with uh, some big tennis player. I don't know what that means, but uh, and that this, this big tennis player plays in pain many times. I might suggest that it might have to do with the fact that the big tennis player, if he doesn't step on the pitch, he doesn't get paid. But whatever. I don't. It's it, it, certainly the reading that's been given in the media, guys, is that Mourinho is kind of calling out some of his players, like Chris Smalling and Luke Shaw, as slightly wussy. Are, are we being unfair here, or is this the message he's sending? Well, it's definitely the message you send me. I don't think there's any. Um, I don't think it takes a, a great reading between um, between the lines. This is what he wants us to. He wants to go out and say that these two guys have little niggles, and that's why they're not there, and they're a little wussy. Yes, is that what he's saying? Yeah, I think he's he's been pretty pretty clear, hasn't he? He's not like a sort of throwaway comment either. I mean, it was clearly it was clearly said with a bit of a, a bit of forethought. A lot of what he says is so um, no, and it's interesting, especially when you consider what Luke Shaw went through last 
last year with his, his broken leg. And it's obviously there was an, uh, an issue earlier this year when he was uh, falling out with Shaw. And it's in his case in particular, it's quite startling, say, just because of Shaw's sort of fairly still recent history. Siegs, what, what, what's he? What's the strategy here? What, what's he thinking? Yeah, I don't know. Do you remember when uh, Klopp had the, the same sort of thing with Daniel Sturridge, that he needs to learn how to deal with different levels of pain? Um, that was last season, about a year ago, I think. Ooh. Um, I wondered if that was a sort of Mourinho taking a leaf out of Klopp's book and thinking, oh, well, um, maybe if I do this, it's going to make my players... Basically, it's a message to the whole team to knuckle down and basically show a bit more desire than they have been showing because I think he's, that's prob- I think that's something that... My reading of it is that, is that it's not just the players that he's um, he's mentioned. It's the whole. It's a message to the whole team to pull their finger out. He's had it with Robin before, didn't he, at Chelsea? I mean, I think the one... I think if there's a broader sort of picture to this it's 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 that one thing that's been striking in in some of the recent united performances is the lack of intensity and you you just think if a, a Mourinho team is sort of almost nothing without intensity that's pretty much the default setting he needs to get his team physically um on the front foot um almost as the starting point and maybe it's part of that uh, Julian, there was an moving on to actual football, but there was an excellent piece in the uh, Times on Saturday discussing Paul Pogba, yep. the position he played on the pitch uh, at Juventus and, and 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 for France, and how maybe it should sort of be to the side of a three, and maybe if there was a passer like Andrea Pirlo behind him, it might work. There's no Pirlo at United, but they do have Michael Carrick, uh, who plays this, who'd only played 13 Premier League minutes till that point. And it worked. Pogba scored a world-beating goal. Is is it as simple as that? Yeah, it sounds like I said exactly the same on Thursday night, by the way, after the the, the Europa League match against Fenerbahce. But well, I first started on Tuesday. Yeah, I know it was on Tuesday. It, I was baffled by the fact that Carrick was um, not used more by Mourinho so far, and I was as baffled by the fact that he trying to keep playing Pogba in the two midfield where clearly it was not working. I don't see well, why. He also played him in the hole, remember? Yeah, as well. I don't see why he didn't try before to play three. And, and Swansea were dreadful yesterday on Sunday, so we might need a bit more confirmation. But clearly, that's the way forward. If that, if that's if you want to use Pogba at his best, maybe that's not what Mourinho wants to do. And in that case, he prefer having Ibra at his best. And maybe the, the 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 system has to be a bit different, or Rooney, or whoever. But if you want to have Pogba at his best. That's where you have. That's how you have to play him. I actually think that instead of Fellaini, Herrera would work even better with Carrick and Pogba, and that should be your your middle three every single game for United. But Ziggs, then the problem becomes the problem with Michael Carrick is that's a nice idea, but the guy's thirty five and he's not getting any younger. So you are going to need an alternative to Carrick because you can't do that every game. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised if Mourinho is going to shake things up to the extent that Carrick's going to become the sort of first name on his team sheet. But he's clearly not. He clearly has not got the best out of Pogba so far, and I think that's probably something which is is taxing his brain as much as anything else. Because when you spend his most expensive player in the world, and actually he's he's been all right, but not not, certainly nothing better than that. Well, it's funny though because. I'll let you know a secret. I wrote that ex- exceptional Pogba piece on Saturday. <laughs> and in some of the feedback, a lot of United fans, and, and, and looking at the numbers, you know, your knee-jerk reaction was like, whoa, he can't cope with the crash-bang wallet pace of the Premier League, I, which is one of those really stupid arguments, yeah. because, especially because United don't actually play fast, and generally in a lot of games when they've struggled, it's been, you know, Burnley, you know, parking the whole Burnley Transit Authority in front of the box. And uh, so really that's not been a factor, but... In terms of chances created, uh, he's creating more chances per game, about 40% more than, than he did at Juventus. In terms of, of tackles won, or percentage of tackles won, duels won, aerial duels, a lot of his numbers are up, apart from his goals and his assists. And so a lot of United fans were saying, well, that's just because of Ibra's finishing. And Dicko, uh, Ibra finished and finished very, very well in that game, scoring two goals. Is that all it takes? Just just pass the ball to the big guy. Well, I do I do think you know it was much improved, and there's some nice touches and some you know that Pogba's goal was spectacular. And but I do think we have to do a big sort of you know let's let's come back and see against a, a team that is a lot better than Swan. I mean, Swansea pretty much played. You know, if Mourinho could have moved the Swansea players around, he couldn't have done a better job okay. of making it easy, <laughs> easy for United. I mean, it was it was right. laughably, laughably bad. Um, All right, we, we, we need to address the, the laughably bad bit. I, I thought it was absolutely terrible as well. And you, and people say the squad is rubbish, but the managers changed and they weren't this bad before. And is this Bob Bradley's fault, Julian? Well, one, it's nothing. To, I, I don't think it's much to do about the talent of of the squad. It's more about the the desire, the motivation, being aggressive. You just can't play like Dico said. You know they 
even the Pep teams play with more aggression than that and with with more intensity than they But did, also, especially why would defensively. You play two two big men like that. I don't quite. Oh well, yeah. I mean, and then if you if you go to to the tactics that Bradley uh, used, not so much, not not just yesterday, but I think since he came on, that was his fourth game yesterday. It makes absolutely no sense when you have someone like Sigurdsson to trying to put him on 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 one wing. Well, Sigurdsson's maybe what like the slowest player they have in their front six, but the more gifted technically but, as well. Yeah, so you want. Sigurdsson to go up and down the way. Can you explain this, Ziegler? No, I mean, I, I, I do sort of like Bradley, but... I, 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 I like him too, well, yeah. apart from the fact that he's a dark soul because he went to Princeton. But apart from that, can you explain what what, he, what, what this was trying to do? Was he asked about it? Did he give a, a coherent explanation? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure exactly why, why he did that either, but Sigurdsson, Sigurdsson is not a wide player, is he? Let's face it. He, that is, that is his, his worst position. He could possibly, he'd probably be better at centre-back than there. It made even less, and, and the whole thing is, because as soon as that team came out, everyone thought that may be the slowest Man United team that's ever ever taken to the field, that, you know, sort of Bobby Charlton could still keep up, basically. And so you'd have, you know, the Swansea style that we've sort of got used to over, well, several managers and quite a few seasons, a quick version of, 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 of Swansea should have, you know, you thought, wow, United you know, has taken a risk here. Swansea's decent passing from quick wide men, you know, they could maybe cause some damage. But as you, it just turned out to be the opposite of that. It turned out to be sort of fitting deep, sitting off, um, sitting, sitting full stop, basically. All right, in our debate this week, as I mentioned, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Damien Collins, uh, who's a member of parliament and who's really been interested and active in football for a while. We're going to get you on a very specific topic here uh, today, Damien, which is this business with the banning of wearing of poppies during England and uh, the upcoming game between England and Scotland, which is a World Cup qualifier. For those who don't know, I'm going to try to summarize this in 30 seconds, but the crux of the argument is that FIFA have rules where they ban uh, religious, commercial, or political symbols. That's the wording. They told the FA and, and the Scottish FA that this is considered a political, religious, or commercial symbol, probably more, more specifically a political one, and so they're not to wear it, not to have it embroidered on their shirts, for example, like uh, uh, the way the Premier League teams did this weekend. Uh, the FA feel differently. In 2011, we had a similar sort of standoff, which ended with a compromise where they ended up wearing black armbands with the poppy on it. Martin Ziegler is with us as well. But Damien, I'm going to start with you. You've written a letter. Can you briefly articulate why you think FIFA are wrong here? Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I wrote a letter to Gianni Infantino, the president of FIFA, asking them to look again. And I'm not asking FIFA to change their rules, just to acknowledge that their definition of a poppy as being a political symbol is wrong. It's something that people, not just in the UK, but around the world would take offence at. Uh, that it was seen as a political symbol. And in this case, it's not even a question that the other side England are playing might take offence at, at the England players wearing a poppy because we're playing Scotland and they want to wear the poppy too. So it's inappropriate for FIFA to get involved in this way. And I think the way they've done it doesn't make any sense to football fans and would lead many people to think that FIFA should be concentrating on more important problems that it has and not getting involved in whether England players should wear a poppy or not. You kind of walked into this one because the Prime Minister also got involved here and somebody might say that she's got a lot on her plate right now. I should have done this before, but just to clarify for those listeners who might not be familiar with the issue of the poppy, essentially this dates back to the 1920s and it commemorates members of the British Armed Forces who, or it's a sort of narrowest meaning, I guess, who have died in, in, in war or certainly, or in service anyway. Yes, and not just, I mean, not just British, but certainly Commonwealth, if you like, right. um, uh, who died in the First World War. And then it's, it's also used to commemorate people who've lost their lives in conflicts since that point. And the purpose of the Poppy Appeal every year is to raise money for the Royal British Legion, which uses that money to support service families uh, of, of people who've um, lost relatives in conflict. So it is in this country and in many other countries around the world, it's seen as a non-political, non-partisan way of demonstrating your remembrance of the sacrifices previous generations have made in wars 
uh, and making a contribution towards uh, a charity that works for service families. It doesn't particularly seek to mark the significance of any one conflict or any one person. It is a it is a national moment of remembrance. In this particular occasion, this match is being played on the 11th of November, which is Armistice Day, the the day that marks the end of the um, First World War and the day on which has been you know the Armistice Day has been commemorated on that day every year since. So it has a particular significance. And I think what FIFA should be is respectful of the fact that different countries have these great traditions. There are of huge significance to them. It will be seen as massively appropriate in the United Kingdom for players for, from England and Scotland to wear a poppy on Armistice Day. It could be done as it was before on an armband, not on the shirt, if that causes a problem for FIFA. But should FIFA be interfering in these sorts of things? Is, is there a role for the governing body of world football to interfere on such a small and specific thing, which may not be important to Mr Infantino, but is of huge significance to the people of England and Scotland. I may own you on that, but Martin, I'll let you come sure. in there since you, you, you certainly, hair-wise, you probably are closest, closer to Infantino than, uh, than I am. What would Infantino say to that? I'm not sure what he would say, but what I would say is, is several things. One is the, the actual wording is commercial, religious, political or personal now fifa have not have never said it's political that sort of, people sort of jumped on that they have never actually said it's political so that's the first point to make the second point is some people do think it is um you know james um james mclean at west brom he doesn't he refuses to wear a shirt with a poppy on because he doesn't agree with it so that i mean there is there is a, a sort of precedent for people saying that poppy shouldn't be on the shirt third thing i'd say is that FIFA haven't actually inter- interfered with this. This is this, this is the um, the FA who, for some reason which I can't quite understand, they wrote asking permission for something which they'd already given been given given permission for five years ago, and it's almost like they've sort of created this rod for their own back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. They've already had permission to wear an armband. I don't quite see why they, why they didn't just go ahead and do what they did beforehand. It's like saying every time you want to do something, you have to ask permission. It just doesn't make sense. And it puts FIFA into this position where if they do not want to have the player's kit with a, any sort of personal message on, then I think it, uh, it creates a bit of a problem for them. That's why they have, I think, pushed into a corner on this and reacted by saying it's it's not, you know, it is it's not part of the, the usual player's kit, and therefore they're sort of loath to say that it should be permitted. I, I don't think it's a it's a black and white case by any means. I think there's plenty of grey areas on this. I want to get your take on this, Dave, because my impression when we went through this back in 2011, mm. and on the back of what Martin just said, and I'll be brutally honest, it looked to me as if. You guys, you, you know, you say it's, it's an important tradition and certainly the wearing of the poppy is, is, is hugely important. But in terms of wearing it during football matches, it's something that throughout the 50s and 60s and 70s, when many of the family members or, or certainly or, or many of the people maybe were wounded or maimed in war and, and returned, and they, many of those guys were still alive. This was never an issue. So there is, I just want to be clear, there is no tradition of wearing the poppy on, on your kit during games, unless it's a tradition that goes back a few years. And I think that's something that makes people uneasy. 
as maybe as the fact that when we went through this in 2011, it seemed to me as if it was, you know, there was a different leadership at the FA, and it seemed to me as if it was the FA and the Daily Mail who kind of decided to go and, and make an issue about this. I mean, you've been going to football for a long time. Mm. Did did you feel, uh, and presumably you've been wearing mm. a poppy for a long time around Armistice Day, did you feel something was, was missing sort of 15 years ago when you went to football matches and the players weren't wearing poppies? No, I don't. Um, I think there is, maybe it's, it's it's something that's happened since the recent wars in Iraq and Afghanistan where there's a heightened level of public interest in the armed forces and support for the armed forces and the, and the rise and the success of charities like Health for Heroes. I think there is a certainly a heightened level of interest, I think, now. Um, not that there was immediately after the wars, but I think within, right. recent, within recent years, I think that has happened. I also think as well, I mean, it's, it's come about because we have an England international that has fallen on Armistice Day or in the past very close to it. That doesn't always happen. It's been a more recent thing that England have had that the, the international break has fallen yeah. round about Armistice uh, weekend. So I think that's a reason why it's come up in the way it hasn't before. I think the, uh, the solution that was found in 2011 is, was quite a neat one, that the players should wear an armband and the poppy could be on the armband rather than embroidered onto their kit, if that was a, a way of uh, coming up with a compromise. I agree with Martin that if the FA had just done it, you know, would, you know, would, F, would FIFA have taken any action? But what's interesting in going to going to FIFA, FIFA seemed to be taking an exception to it. I, I raised, and I know um, Martin reported on, wrote about this too, that the Football Association of Ireland had embroidery on their kit earlier in the season to mark the centenary of the Easter Rising. They would appear didn't seek permission for that, but now FIFA is saying they may take retrospective disciplinary action against the FAI. I think FIFA would feel they kind of had to because obviously, I mean, I I don't know exactly who reported the FAI, but pretty safe to say that somebody in this country and said, you know, well, we want to have the rules the same. And obviously, these are rising, and I'm not Mm -hmm. a historian. Presumably not related to Michael Collins. I'm not. No, no I am half. <laughs> but, I am half Irish, but not really. But, so. <laughs> but obviously, again, for for those who don't know, you guys correct yeah. me if I'm wrong because yeah. my, my history of Ireland is what it is. But this was in in 1916 uh, when Ireland was still controlled by Britain, and it was a violent uprising. And it is a classic case where sort of one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. I suppose one of the apart from the sort of the event, the sacrifices, the people that were killed in the event. I think one of the reasons it has particular significance for Ireland is that the the start of the Easter Rising, there was a proclamation read out proclaiming the Irish Republic. So many, many, many people in Ireland would regard the Easter Rising as the birth of the Irish Republic and therefore they're marking the centenary of the Irish right. Republic rather than just the centenary of a, an important historical event. But I think in cases like this, where the FAI made that decision, it's part of a, a large uh, programme of national commemorations of important centenaries uh, leading up to the the independence of Ireland from the United Kingdom, and they chose to do it to, to mark it in that way. And the football nations they were playing against, Switzerland and Slovenia, I think it was, they raised no objection. Clearly, there was no objection made to FIFA at the time. It happened, it, uh, and that was that. And now FIFA retrospectively trying to insert themselves in, into into something which I think really within the rules should be a matter for the home football associations to decide for themselves. I don't think it requires on something which is, it is a great, it may be a grey area as Martin says, but do we really need FIFA to come in and uphold some sort of a rule here where it's something that has special significance for the particular countries involved? The other countries they're playing against don't object. I I think the the argument, sorry, but Martin, I was going to say, I think the argument from from FIFA, Hmm. as I understand it, is this. We do not want to be the arbiters of what is right and what is what is not right. We're not equipped to do that. We're not historians. Let's face it, historically, we haven't been the most ethical organization either. I certainly personally don't want FIFA to decide what is appropriate and what is not appropriate because the risk here is there's, you know, FIFA represent 209 nations uh, around the world. Some of those FIFA members might have slightly wacky totalitarian regimes. Some of them might be uberly nationalistic. You know, what happens, we, we've seen it in the Balkans, for example, with Serbs and Croats or commemorating battles of 1243 and, and you know, Azerbaijan and, um, and Armenia and Nagorno-Karabakh. And what happens when somebody says, well, we're commemorating our great leaders who died in the battle of some such in 1322? And then the other guys say, well, but no, but 1322, that's when, you know, you went and you murdered and raped all these innocent people. And they say, no, we didn't. And look, you allowed England to do this, right? Nobody was offended. They, they're, they're mourning their dead. We want to mourn our dead in the same way. 
that's the position FIFA are in, and, and FIFA don't want to make a call. And I'm not sure we want making FIFA making those judgments because FIFA don't have a history of very good judgment. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I agree with you with that, Gabs. I think the uh, especially when you look at you know, the Croatia and, and, and Serbia because everything in Bosnia, things there are they're so tense, and there's, there's there's a whole history of those countries when they're playing each other. They're using nationalistic symbols, and it's and I mean they've got into trouble. Many many times already, so I think it, 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 I think generally the, the the idea is not having those sort of symbols on your shirt is is a good one. And I also, and I and I and I think when you look at the the whole issue about it, should you have a specific charity being promoted on, on on an international shirt, that's another issue. Again, I mean, would you have? It's 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 a question of where do you draw the line. And I think I can quite understand that it's easier in many ways just to, just to say right nothing. You can have a black armband, but um, you know it's not one I have a, a, re- a massively strong opinion on. Apart from the fact that I, th- I just think that if they'd done it using the, p- the precedent beforehand, then we wouldn't be in, in this position at all, and probably Ireland would have got away with it as well because nobody would have noticed. <laughs> did, did you agree with that? Should the FA just have gone ahead and and, and done it without asking permission? Just kind of said because it's easier to say to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission say like you gave us permission 2011 it's the same thing yeah we're gonna should they have done that? oh i think undoubtedly i think they had the pr- the precedent had been set in 2011 there was no reason to believe it was any different so they should have just gone ahead and done it i doubt fifa would have got involved that would have been a much much better course course of action to take what would be helpful for fifa here is to is to is to respect the fact that in some countries there will be traditions that go back over a very long period of time that are not not partisan uh, they're not linked to any one particular event or occasion they're actually quite international in their in their outlook and they couldn't really be regarded as being you know political or commercial but, or sorry, religious in this case the tradition goes back 5 years to 2011 yeah. you guys weren't doing this in the 80s and 90s no, the tradition but the tradition of wearing a poppy as such you know, to commemorate as part of uh, remembrance weekend commemorations right. that as a tradition goes back you know, a no, long no. time, even nineteen twenty-one. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. So even if you know, it's not, it's not been a question in the past of whether it's worn in football matches or not. That that could be recognised as a a national tradition um, that is shared by other countries around the world, uh, and that has considerable significance in in this country. Now, I think FIFA should look at something like that and say, well, in this case, it's not, it's not really, it's not something to be used by a political leader in that country to try and whip up support for a particular nationalistic cause or or idea. It's something that is. You know, is is long founded and um, you know is not political. This is what gets me. It's an easy topic to get behind. You know, who doesn't want to mourn the dead? The people who who scream loudest against the poppy, certain types who talk about, well, those were all illegal wars and blah 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 blah, which then makes the poppy people even angrier. You you get this sort of instant polarization. But, Jamie, I want to leave you with this. I like a prediction from you of what you think will happen. And admittedly, we're taping this on Monday morning. And secondly, and this is going to be part two of our conversation next week. Am I right in thinking you'd rather be busy with other stuff? <laughs> well, we are busy with other stuff, <laughs> but, but this has just be- become a sort of a, a talking point around all the other sort of things we're busy getting on doing. But um, I mean, the issue would be: I mean, England, England are going to play wearing the poppy, and Scotland probably will do too. Um, you don't think they're going to bottle it? I don't think they will. No, I think they'll play. And then the question is, what do FIFA do? Now, I think the danger for FIFA here is you could end up being put in a position where the rule that you've created is unenforceable unless you make the sanction really punitive. Yeah. And I think to do that would, I think, would be seen as a massive overreaction on their part. You know, but Well, it's um, also funny because yeah. if they both do it, you could dock England points mm. and England would still qualify and you've made your point. And you, mm. but The problem is you'd have to dock both sides' points. And to Scotland, that would likely make a really, really big difference. And then everything acquires an outsized importance mm. after that. And what, what, what could be interesting as well, I mean, the, the, the FAI, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the, um, the FAI issue until someone sent me, sent me a picture of uh, the Ireland shirt with the Easter Rising centenary uh, em, uh, embroidered on it. Is it obvious? Or is it, when you look at it, did you immediately say, oh, yeah, that's the Easter Rising centenary? Or do they have to explain to you um, what it was? It, I mean, it's... You, you sort of have to. I think you sort of have to recognise the symbol. In our, I've seen it in Ireland on other commemorative things. Right. So, if you, if you're if you live in Ireland, you, you would recognise right. instantly that's what it is. Um, uh, otherwise, it, it marks obviously a centenary that has fallen in 2016. But if you didn't know that much about right. it, you probably would take <laughs> right. a bit of interpretation. But who knows what else has slipped under the radar that no one knows about? So we could have all sorts of you know retrospective <laughs> actions being brought by people against different countries. Damien Collins, thank you so much. Delighted to be joined now by Ollie Kay, uh, who has 
really a wonderful story. I, I suppose this is one of those stories that we do, you know, surrounding because Southport against Fleetwood is on television and it's the FA Cup. And hey, they all love the FA Cup. In reality, this story isn't actually about the FA Cup, which is what I think makes it really interesting to me, at least at this stage of the competition. Ollie, you sat down with a guy uh, named John Kofi, who mm-hmm. plays for a team called Southport, mm-hmm. uh, which is somewhere near Liverpool, I think. The interesting thing about this guy is he was part, and, and this should maybe serve as a reminder, he served part, he was part of the star-studded uh, Manchester United youth team a few years ago with Michael Keane, his, his twin brother, Will, Jesse Lingard, Ryan Tunnicliffe, and of course, Ravel Morrison. And it was like a big deal when they signed him from Burnley. Mm-hmm. And now this guy's playing for, for Southport, which you probably know what division that's in. And <laughs> and it's amazing how quickly things can turn, turn in a few years. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's not really uh, that unusual a case. And it, you know, it, it's it's often quite a long way down or quite a sharp fall when, when players get released from, from, from one of the big clubs. Where, you know, he, he was signed, as he said, from, from, uh, from Burnley at 14 and was a you know was a really big deal at that time. I remember part of my fascination with him is, is that I, I remember writing stories about him then, and there was a bit of a sort of ding dong transfer ding dong between Liverpool and Manchester United at the time back in I think 2007 when they were both trying to sign him and Chelsea were keen too. And this actually isn't a story that has come from um, the FA Cup draw. It's, it, it, I've, I've been in touch with him since the start of the season about doing something because I've I, I sort of vaguely tracked his career and, and it, it, it just so happened that, that the, um, the FA Cup first round gave us a, more of a sort of peg for that. But it's um, How do you approach this? Because I think we've all, just from a journalist, we wing him up and you say, hey, John, it's it's Ollie, I want to do a piece and how you used to be really, really good and highly rated <laughs> and, and, you're rubbish. and now nobody knows who you are. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it, it, it was it was partly helped by the fact that Paul Pogba photographed the, him and and Kofi and and um, Lingard when they were in um, Nando's as, as footballers do. You know, when he got back to Manchester, and that that sort of reignited my interest. And so, you know, I, I said, look, it'd be great to it'd be great to do a piece um, with you on on you know still being mates with. With with Pogba and, and where you've gone since, and I, I think I said something like, you know, I, I, your your sort of um, football career looks interesting. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a story to tell with every way you've gone because you've been to Norway, you've been to loads of you know, Telford and various non-league clubs and Crawley Town and so on. And and, and I think he, you know, he just thought, well, yeah, I, I probably is about time I told my story. And I mean, he he was making a point that. You know, people will look at it and say, "Oh, I used to be playing with Pogba at United. Now I'm at Southport. Oh, but they'll think, oh, he he must be useless, or he must have lost he lost it completely." And the point that he made, and I've, I've known players make before, is that a long way down and, and, and a very sort of slippery slope. Once you're released by a big club at, at 20, and if you haven't really got that first team experience, and you sort of drop down a division or two, he went to Sheffield United initially, and he, uh, sorry, went to Sheffield United on loan, went to Barnsley then. And if you're not sort of considered hardened up enough for championship football or League One football at 20, because you haven't got that experience under your belt, you know, you can't break into the team then. And then you get sort of passed down there where, you know, you drop down another level to League Two where, again, you know, the, the emphasis is even more on toughness, physical and mental and experience and being streetwise. And then you can't get in there because you lack, you lack those qualities, whatever other qualities you might have as a footballer. You, you, you drop further, you know, you drop further and further. And it, now he's in the conference and he's saying, you know, I'm not playing well in the conference. I, I haven't got used to it yet. It's a very demanding style of football. And we've probably got a, you know, a situation where once you don't make it from academy level in England, you get to that point where the lower you down you drop, the less it becomes about Ooh. technique and quality and the more it becomes about toughness. And is, I don't is, know, it's, isn't it's maybe the, isn't it? the obvious solution. I mean, he makes a point here, and I want to get Julian in on this as well. You know, he, you talk about the toughness, he, he comes out and he says, you know, the, the conference isn't for everyone. Mm. The way I read it isn't, this is obviously a, a technically gifted player. And mm. I, I don't watch the conference, but the message this sends to me is that, and I've had this for other players. I remember talking to uh, uh, to, to Ray Houghton at the end of his career. He dropped down to Oxford or whatever, and mm. you know he said, "Oh, I thought I can pass all day here." And he says, "No, you can't because the people can't control his passes, and he's got two guys kicking him all all game long." And after a couple of games, he sort of you know packed it in. 
Is it the case with this? Is that the message he's sending that, you know, it's it's maybe too physical and and his skills just aren't cut out for that? And if that's the case, should he look at maybe going abroad again? But, you know, not to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's house in Norway, but like to, mm-hmm. I don't know, Greece, mm-hmm. Turkey, Portugal, second division, something like that, relaunch there. Would that be a better fit? Yeah, maybe. And, and I only asked him if, if he would go to, to Germany where he used to live when his dad was, mm-hmm. was in the army. And he said, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind. But clearly... Uh, there's also you, you need you know if, if the only offers you have come from the conference you you yeah. have to take them and try to adapt and, and he might never adapt well, he might but adapt but Ollie, not how much money do you think do you think he makes because the conference paid pay relatively suggest, well it was it was fine I mean he, he, it's, it's a world away from Paul Pogba money or even Jesse Lingard or Will Keane money but it, he seemed to suggest it was okay what he was getting in the in the conference from Southport, and it, you know it's training three days a week and and playing, but I mean it, it's it, it's more. I think what he what he really wants is, is is to be sort of playing at a level where he's where he's comfortable and is is playing well and and feels like he's got a sort of springboard back up to um, to, to where he wants to be. And you know he might not make that jump back up to where he wants to be. I mean he almost certainly won't get back up to Premier League level. People can talk about Jamie Vardy and Charlie Austin and Rick, Ricky Lambert and examples like that, but it's it's still very rare. And I, I put that to him about about moving abroad and he said, Yeah, I would I would be open to, to it. And he, you know, he's proved that already by, by going to to Mulder in, in Norway and that didn't work out either, really. But you know, I, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, is there some other is there some other story with him? Is, is he is he a bad lad? And he just he just isn't. He's a really no. lovely lad. I think uh, that- I, I, uh, you know, um, to the point where I, I at one point I was sort of asking him, you know, uh, might you be too nice? Might that be might that be an issue? And he said, yeah, yeah I know what you mean, but but um, he, he, uh, he insists he's. Different when he's on the pitch. Uh, yeah, he, there's a great pitch. line there. Uh, you quote him as saying, uh, um, "He says I try to be a blessing uh, to others." I mean, he's, mm. he's, he's, he's clearly he's, he's religious as well. Seems to have a great attitude. It's a really really nice piece from uh, uh, from Ollie in the game uh, on Monday. John Kofi, and uh, if you manage to listen to this in time, you can also maybe watch him play or at least warm up on the sidelines. Southport playing Fleetwood tonight in the FA Cup. Thanks so much, Ollie. Pleasure. Enough of that. How about some quick hits instead? Liverpool are once again terrifying as they rip Watford to shred 6-1. Dicko, some folks keep pointing out that they struggle to keep clean sheets. But isn't that kind of irrelevant and stupid when they're just so good at the other end? Uh, I don't think it's irrelevant and stupid, but I can see why Klopp's got irritated at, at being asked about it. Um, I think the defence is, is I mean, it's certainly not the best in the league, but it's massive. It's been an improvement. I, I think we talked about last week. There's, there's, a, there's some improvement to come, but... Uh, no, they're, they're, they're not in a bad place at all, and it's not as systematically wrong defence. Chelsea devolish Everton 5-0, and uh, Eden Hazard turns in one of the best individual performances seen in a long time. Martin, was this a case of Chelsea kicking it up a notch, or was it also that Everton were shockingly terrible, and without Idrissa Gay, there is no midfield? Yeah, I mean, Hazard's one of these players who I just think, how can he be so good some days and so bad other days? <laughs> I mean, if you look at last season, I mean, it's, it's just it's just incomprehensible to me. So has he decided he's going to start playing again properly now? Um, the rest of the Chelsea players are as well, because, I mean, that seems to be the only explanation to me. One of the, the most one-sided games I've ever seen, I think. It was just incredible. West Brom went away to Leicester City, bringing the reigning champions' run of home results to an end, prompting an apology from Claudio Ranieri. Julian, does he really have to go out and apologise? I, th- I don't know, but they, was, they were very below the level that we've been used to. And I think it's one thing to be focused on the Champions League and Champions League is great and the music is fantastic and you play under the lights every couple of weeks and it's amazing and this and that. But, you know, they won't win it. Yeah, yeah but no, they won't win it. And then, and then if they finish 12th in the league, it won't be a good season at all. So I think, you know, th- this is the kind of game they should win. And, and I was very disappointed by the way they, they lost it as well. Sunderland get their first victory of the season, winning 2-1 at Bournemouth. Uh, Dicko, it looked to me like maybe they sort of got the rub of the green on this one. Uh, am I being harsh? And Can you please tell me that Moisey's going to be okay? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping he's going to be okay because, um, you know, I, I like the guy and I think um, they visited a factory last week which seems to be interpreted by some as um, as, as, as the, the turning point. Is that uh, where they found Anna Chibi? Hey, um, no, I think it's, um, I, I, I think it is hopefully going to give him a bit of confidence. I actually thought that Moyes is probably uh, still scarred by what happened at United and um, I think it helps him to get his sort of 
confidence mojo back then. Fingers crossed. Manchester City huff and puff, but can only blow down Middlesbrough's house once, and then deep, deep in injury time, they pay the price as Burrow grab a late, late equaliser. Is this another one of those games where the Pep was just unlucky? Because it's it's three straight home draws now. No, I don't think it is. I think it's it's a sort of dose of reality for him of actually. It's the Premier League's a really, really, really tough place because unlike anywhere he's played before. Every match is unpredictable. Every opponent can cause you damage, despite you know, no matter how much you've spent, no matter how good your players are. Every every team can hurt you, and I think that's the, it's a it's a it's a it's a bit of a wake up call for him in, in the Premier League in this first season. Talking about teams that can hurt you, whole city come from behind thanks to the magnificent Robert Snodgrass and grab all three points against Southampton. Julian, this was a really weird one because. They kind of get killed for an hour, and then all of a sudden they spring into action, and it's Dawson and, and Snodgrass, and, and your mate Claude Puel just melts and <laughs> runs away like the cheese-eating surrender monkey that he is. Well, he didn't like it up and at him, did he? Just, the going got tough. and I don't know how, the, how Southampton lost that game, I have to say. I thought it was it was an incredible turnaround in a game that they should have easily won, I don't know, 5-1, 4-2, if you want to give her the two goals. But credit to her and Snodgrass, who didn't start and probably might not have played or at least not as early as he did because of the two injuries but he wants to be very fit early. for England doesn't yeah, he? <laughs> he wants to play against he wants to play at Wembley for sure against against Scotland so uh, it was fantastic for her because they've, they didn't really work out for them the last few years few few, few games sorry few weeks and for, for Puel and, and Southampton I think that's the learning curve for Puel Gab one for you Barcelona travelled to Seville on Sunday there was the big game in Europe this weekend how did it go? Well, the first 45 minutes especially, one of the most amazing games of football, maybe the most amazing game of football I've seen this year. Long-time listeners will know I'm a huge, huge fan of Jorge Sampaoli. I think the man is an absolute genius and probably one of the best top three coaches in the world right now. And Seville really put Barcelona to the sword. They, They did the high press. Barcelona could not get out at all. Seville took the lead. They missed the chance to make it 2-0, possibly even even 3-0. Lionel Messi, though, showing once again how incredibly versatile, multi-talented it is. He was he, he dropped deeper to help help Barcelona basically get out of their own half. That led to their, their equalizer before halftime. Really a body blow to Seville in the second half. More chances either side. Messi, absolutely outstanding. And Barcelona ultimately winning 2-1. And I think it's a really, really big result for Barca because it was important for them to, to really keep in touch with uh, uh, with the top of the table and Real Madrid. And Barcelona actually doing Real Madrid a, a favor as well. Oh, and some guy named Cristiano got to sign a long-term contract, but we'll talk about that some other no. time. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guest today, the Member of Parliament, Damien Collins. Martin Ziegler, Matt Dickinson, who, as I've discovered, has won more awards than uh, Ziegs and I put together. But probably a lot fewer awards than Matthew Syed has won in the past week. Julian Lawrence and Ollie Kay talking about uh, his piece in the game this week. You can sign up. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search the Times online. I need to send out an apology. Uh, It's not my fault. Uh, It's probably not the fault of uh, our producer, Dave McGuire. But uh, we had major technical issues with the podcast last week. It's all to do with switching servers and things that are way above my my pay grade. Hopefully, they've all been resolved now. If they haven't, let us know. We're on Twitter. And uh, so is producer Dave McGuire. He loves hearing from people who who couldn't manage to to download it. It's at dgigsy, at D-G-U-I-G-S-Y. Hit him up. He really enjoys that. Uh, No, I'm serious. We try to bring this to you. Uh, if, If we can't get it to you, tell us because we want to fix it. So press that subscribe button on wherever you choose to download your podcast. Leave a review on iTunes. If you're listening on an Apple device, uh, take care. Bye-bye.